is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? You know, I have found that Christians' minds are sort of like concrete. You know, when you, if you've ever done this, and in my work I have done this, if you've ever poured concrete, whether it's a patio, a porch, a slab, or whatever, you've only got so many, so much time to mold it and shape it into what you would like. And you are on a time schedule there with, with, with pouring concrete. And once it's set up, it's cast in stone. There is no changing it once it's set up. And I have found that that is precisely the way that the Christian mind basically is. That there is this pouring in of something almost as if you drill a hole in the head and pour in what I call mainstream Christianity, certain thoughts, certain ideas about God, about the law of God, who God is, what God is, what God is doing. And very quickly, it sets up rock hard, hard as concrete, and there really is no changing it once it's set up. Now, it's sad. Now, there is a way to change it, and that is through the power of God's Holy Spirit. He can actually take a jackhammer in there and break up that concrete. But for the most part, it's set in stone. Now, I want to address an issue today. It was something I was reading on the Internet. It said this. And there are many, with, with this statement, there are many preconceived ideas about God, about faith, about his law, about his death, Jesus' death on the cross, about righteousness, about legalism. I'm going to put the statement up on the screen so you can read it for yourself. But it said this, Are we saved by works and the law or by faith? Christians do not need to follow the legalism of the Mosaic law because Jesus' death on the cross abolish the works for righteousness system. So what I want to do today is I want to sort of take the jackhammer myself and try to break up some of these preconceived ideas that we have about God and about the Bible. And believe me, it, it's not going to be an easy task. Uh, I'm going to tear this uh, statement apart we're going to examine it word by word and ask the question, is that really in the Bible? So let's start off with it right now. Are we saved by works and the law or by faith? Now, the illusion is, if I come up to you, now here's the problem. Often people don't present the right question. And if you don't ask the right question, you'll never get the right answer. So the, the, a common person would look at this and say, okay, i got two choices. I'm either saved by works and the law or by faith. And that's a simple one. We're saved by faith. Okay? So, so you look at this, and automatically, because this concrete is cast in stone, you think 
you only have two choices. All right, let's answer this question. Are we saved by works and the law or by faith? Let's let the Bible answer these questions, okay? Forget about what your church is teaching you. Forget about what you've been told your whole life. Forget about what your minister is teaching you every Sunday morning. Let's take a look at what the Bible really says. James 2 and verse 14. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man says he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? Now, just by asking that question, James asked the question, you know, can faith, the implication is no, no, faith alone cannot save you. Now, we're quoting the Bible, okay? Get that. James 2 and verse 17, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. So, faith alone cannot save you. So when people come up to you and tell you all you need is faith, all you need is just to believe in Jesus, you can say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the book of James teaches. James 2 and verse 20, But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now we know the son, Abraham, go, go sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. Which is basically almost like a replica of what Christ did for us. Okay, by the father giving his son, whom he loved, as an offering for our sins. So, so, what, so what did Abraham do? Well, he obeyed God. Now, I admit, look, I have a daughter and I can't grasp this. You know, I, there, there's a lot of things about the Bible I don't understand. And this is one of them. I don't think I would have that kind of faith, okay? But what Abraham did was he, he did what God told him to do. Now, James 2 and verse 22, this is a different translation, but I like the way it says this. Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? I love that. Faith and works are yoked partners. They work together. That faith expresses itself in works. That the works are works of faith. Okay? Easy enough to understand. Now, I keep the Sabbath day, which is not Sunday, okay? Uh, it's the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. I, I keep the Sabbath day because it's a fourth commandment. That's the reason I do it. I keep the holy days. I do not keep Christmas, Easter, Halloween. I think Halloween in, an, in the church is an abomination. Uh, I keep the Feast of Jehovah, okay? These are the Feast of Jehovah, appointed times which you shall keep in their seasons. I also keep the dietary laws, which are the food laws, separating clean from unclean, because I just figure God knows best. I just figure that since God created man and God created the animal kingdom, he know, and he created the scavengers that we see, you know, the vulture, you know, and, and, and I just figure God knows what he's talking about when he says don't eat the scavenger. Now, do I do these things, Sabbath, holy days, dietary laws, to earn my salvation? Do you know there are people who would say that because I do these things, I have fallen from grace? Why? Well, because I obey God. 
But there are people, there are religious people, who would say, no, by doing these things, you have somehow fallen from grace. You figure it out for yourself. Do I do these things to establish my own righteousness, my own self-righteousness? Well, of course not. I mean, I had a guy one time ask me about this, about why I kept the Sabbath, and he was trying to figure out, okay, was, it, was I trying to earn something? Was I trying to get brownie points with God or something like that? And I said, let me ask you a question. Are you faithful to your wife? And he thought about it, and he said, yes. I said, okay, by being faithful to your wife, you are keeping the seventh commandment. Now, by keeping the seventh, seventh commandment, do you feel like you're earning brownie points? Do you feel like you've established your own righteousness by by being faithful to your wife. And he said, well, no, I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And he really had never thought about this, that, that the law simply just defines what is right and wrong, and it just tells us the right way to make our lives work. That's, that's all it is to it. So James 2 and verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. James 2 and verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now James is not saying, okay, now get this. James is not saying that we are justified, made right with God by keeping the law. He's saying the two work together. That obedience and faith are yoked partners. They work together. Now, this is why Martin Luther called James the epistle of straw, because he thought he was contradicting, James was contradicting what Paul taught. Of course, what Paul taught was not faith alone. Martin Luther thought that Paul taught a, a faith-only uh, theology. He did not, but that's what Martin Luther thought. And so he called James, because he thought he was contradicting Paul, the epistle of straw, not worth listening to. Okay, are we saved by works and the law or by faith? It's not an either-or question, you see. The question is presented wrongly. The two, the answer, the correct answer, is the two, faith and works, are yoked partners. They work together. That's what your Bible teaches. Okay, let's move on. Now that we got that taken care of. Next little statement. Christians do not need to follow the legalism of the Mosaic Law. Now I hate that term Mosaic Law because it implies that Moses went around writing his own law. He just woke up one day and said, I think I'll write some laws today. And I, I'll write, okay, I'm going to write this one down. And uh, oh, I got another one. I'm going to write this down. And uh, oh, I got, yep, yep, I'm going to write this down. No, no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not how it works. He didn't write his own laws. Exodus 24 and verse 4 says, Then Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. So when we talk about the Mosaic law, we're talking about God's law. So, here we are again. Christians do not need to follow the legalism of God's law. Now, what is this word legalism? You always hear this word thrown around. Well, the definition is dependence on moral law rather than on a personal relationship with God or personal religious faith. Now, my definition of legalism is this. It goes even further. Dependence on moral law to make you right with God, to think. 
that you are justified by keeping the law. It's when you use the law for a purpose for which it was never intended. And that is to get right with God. The law was never given for that purpose. The law is revelatory. It reveals what sin is. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the breaking of God's law. It reveals what God's will is in order to make your life work. That's the purpose of the law. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people do you know who are truly trying to get right with God by keeping the law? To be honest with you, I have never met a person like that who actually thought, I don't need a Savior, I can, get, I can keep this law perfectly, and I, I'm, I'm going to get right by keeping God's law. You know, I'm going to be justified by keeping I have never met a person who actually believed that. Now, I've met a lot of people not keeping God's law who are trying to get right with God. That's mainstream churchianity, basically. They're not keeping the law, and they're trying to get right with God. Now, maybe the Pharisees of Jesus' day had this problem. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, there were two sets of laws. There was first the law of Moses, or the law of God, handed down from God. And then there was the tradition of the elders, Jewish tradition, or referred to as the oral law of the Jews. Let's notice an example of this, Matthew 15 and verse 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, what is this commandments of men? Well, it's, it's, it's referred to as the oral law, Jewish traditions that they had. This is how they achieved their self-righteousness. And, and in a way, I guess they thought they didn't need a Messiah because they could achieve it on their own. Now, let's take a look at examples of this oral law that existed when Jesus walked the earth. Okay, so I said there were two sets of laws. Now, Jesus did abolish a law, but it's not the law that you're thinking of. And I'm going to tell you what law Jesus abolished in this message. And it will begin to break up that concrete mind that you have that's been cast in stone the way you think. Okay, Mark 7 and verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders? That little statement, the tradition of the elders, it's Jewish tradition, it's referred to as the oral law. All right, it goes on, but they eat bread with unwashed hands. Okay, they're asking Jesus, why don't you keep our traditions? You see, this oral law was fence building around the law of God. That's what it was. It was, it was an explanation how you could keep each one of these Ten Commandments perfectly. In other words, on the Sabbath, you could go out and maybe pick a few grapes off the vine, but if you picked a cluster, that was harvesting. All right, this, it was fence building around the law of God. Now let's take a look at an example of this in the Bible of Jewish law, Jewish tradition, the oral law. Now this story you're familiar with, it's when the sheet was handed down from heaven of unclean beasts. And God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. You know, uh, that's not what a lot of people would say, but that's what Peter said. Okay. Acts 10 and verse 28, and he said to them, you know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one another's nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
So where is this law at in the Bible? Because Peter, in speaking to his audience, said, you know how that it is an unlawful, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into another one nation. In other words, to associate with the Gentiles. It was Jewish tradition. It was part of the oral law that, that existed when Jesus walked this earth. Okay? Another example, Luke 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the fields of corn and his disciples plucked ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in, in, in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said to them, Why do you do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? Do you know what they were accusing the disciples of doing? They're walking through the field of corn, okay, headed from point A to point B. And they grab a few, you know, kernels of corn or whatever, pop it in their mouth and eat it. And they looked at it, the Pharisees, with their oral law and Jewish tradition and said, they're harvesting. They're harvesting a crop. They were not harvesting. They were not trying to earn an income. If they were harvesting, Jesus would have corrected that issue. But they were, they were not harvesting, okay. But this is Jewish Tradition, okay? A Sabbath day's journey. This is interesting. It says, but the Jews had a different way of interpreting the distance of a Sabbath day's journey. Was it from their own home or their town? If it was from their town, they could increase the distance from their home significantly. After all, what if the town itself was 2,000 cubits across and a person lived on one side of it and wanted it to go 2,000 cubits past the other side? Sometimes the Jews would also place food along a lengthy path and state that this was their home and go another 2,000 cubits. So you see how their own law could easily be corrupted and manipulated, and it, and it was. And they did corrupt their own oral law and manipulate it and twist it to fit whatever they wanted. So what law did Jesus abolish? The tradition of the elders, the oral law of the Jews, Jewish tradition is what he abolished. Of course, it got him killed because they had, they had more confidence in their interpretation of the law. They had more confidence in the fence building around the Ten Commandments than the law itself, than the Ten Commandments itself. They condemned Christ for healing on the Sabbath day. Now get this. John 5 and verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And the same day, it was the Sabbath day. Now this is no coincidence. He deliberately did this on the Sabbath day to stir things up. John 5 and verse 10, The Jews therefore said to him, that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now his bed was not a four-post canopy bed. It was a mat that you roll up and put underneath your arm. And he's telling, you know, their, their tradition said it's not lawful for you to do that. Okay, Jewish tradition. See, the reason for the confusion about the law where people come along and say, yeah, the law has been abolished. And, you know, Jesus abolished the law. They don't understand. They, they have a lack of understanding about the oral law, the tradition of the elders, Jewish tradition that Jesus did dismiss and do away with. Because, again, they, the Pharisees, had, had their, 
these interpretations, they had placed more, they had their interpretation was above the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Exactly how do you keep them? And it, all, and it made life, people's lives miserable, by the way. Let's, let's notice Colossians 2 and verse 20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and the doctrines of man. Again, a direct reference to Jew Jewish tradition, Matthew 15 and verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The tradition of the elders, what we're talking about. The Jewish law, the fence building they had built around the Ten Commandments. Okay? Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Notice this. For he is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall or partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So what was this middle wall of partition? What is he talking about? He's talking about Jewish law that separated Jew from Gentile. Now, people take this verse and try to say, well, God's law, he's doing away with all of God's law. Not so. Not so at all. There were two sets, this is critical for you to understand, there were two sets of laws when Jesus walked this earth. The law of Moses or the law of God and the tradition of the elders, the oral law. What law did Jesus abolish? Jewish law, fence building around the Ten Commandments. Okay. Last statement, Jesus' death on the cross abolished that works for righteousness system. Now, the truth of the matter is there has never been a works for righteousness system. Now, a lot of people think that it was in the Old Testament, that God set up a works for righteousness system. Some people would say, well, what about the sacrificial laws? Let's notice something Jeremiah 7 and verse 22 said. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. This is amazing. He said, I, I never came up with this idea. Was this something, now consider this, this is a theory that I have. Was this something man came up with and God said, okay, if you're going to do this, in other words, God looked at man and he sacrificed, he sacrificed an animal, shed its blood for his sin. And God said, okay, if you're going to do this, this is how you, these are the rules and regulations for doing this. Now, this should not surprise us. You know, divorce. God says he hates divorce. But he looked down and he said, okay, they're getting divorced. You know, man and, men and women, they're getting divorced. Okay, these, I'm going to add the rules and regulations for getting a divorce, okay? You gotta give them a bill of divorcement, whatever. God looked down, polygamy is another example. I don't think polygamy was ever God's will, but God looked down and said, oh, okay, they're marrying multiple partners. Okay, if you're gonna do this, this is how you need to regulate it. This is how you need to do it. There are rules and regulations for doing this, okay? So was man trying to atone for his sin by sacrificing an animal? A, was man trying to establish a works for righteousness system? Well, maybe so. But the point, the point I want to make is this. Salvation has always been by the grace of God through faith. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Just like they are in the New Testament. By the grace 
of God by faith in God. That's how they've always been. There's never been a works for righteousness system. Galatians 3 and verse 21, is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. I mean, what is this saying? He's saying there's never been a law given where you could establish your own self-righteousness. Righteousness. There's never been a works for righteousness system, is what that verse is telling you. Now, I say there's never been a works for righteousness system. There, it has existed in one place, right here, between the ears in people's minds. I think the Pharisees had it, the work, a works for righteousness system. I think that's what the fence building around the Ten Commandments was all about. I think that's what the oral law, the tradition of the elders, Jewish tradition, I think that's what it was all about. This, this, this desire a, to create a works for righteousness system, okay? But let's conclude with the truth, the absolute truth. I, like I said, there's never been a works for righteousness system. Not in the Old Testament, not, not in the New. Okay, salvation has always been by the grace of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And that, my friends, is what's really in your Bible. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.